Hello and welcome to episode six of the Frame and Sequence podcast. In this episode, I sit down with my friend John Collin. John is a Canadian photographer currently based in Los Angeles. With a strong emphasis on storytelling, his editorial assignments have taken him all over the globe, covering a wide range of travel, food, and people. He is also a documentary and commercial director and moving into the TV landscape as well with a few documentary-style series in development. In this episode, we chat about his start in photography and the magic of that first roll of film. He discusses how he got into the editorial world and then transitioned into directing docs and eventually commercials. He shares a few really great travel stories along the way, and I hope you enjoy. Thanks, John, for sitting down with me. I appreciate this. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for for doing this. You've got a great podcast going. Thank you. We've had some pretty incredible conversations about photography and life and such, and there's a lot I realize that I don't actually know about you that I thought this would be a perfect format to get into. Yes. How did you first get your start in photography? I was at university. It must have been it was in the mid-90s. Or no, the, 1998. And I had this roommate, and he was a photographer. And it was the last semester of school. And I had never thought about photography at all, but he had, a, he had three cameras. He had a, an old Leica had a, a Canon, and then he had this old Pentax, uh, Asahi Pentax, like kind of like a K1000. And I always found it fascinating because he'd, you know, take pictures and there'd be film in the fridge, and it was always a little fascinating. And and so he invited me to go out with him one day, and I grabbed a camera and he put a roll of Kodachrome in there, and we went to a junkyard outside of Halifax. Halifax is like a like a city in the east coast of Canada, and we just started taking pictures. And he showed me the kind of the basics and you know, the aperture ring and the shutter speed, and uh, I asked him a bunch of questions, and we took a bunch of pictures of old rusty things. Anyway, then it was also, it was Kodachrome, so you would have to send Kodachrome away, and it would get processed in New York, and then it would come back like a week later. So there was this whole period of like that week where I was super excited about, like I just like, the second I put that thing up to my eye, I was like, whoa, this is super interesting. But I couldn't see the pictures for like a week until it came back. And this was in the summer and he had this carousel. He had like this uh, great projector. And what we would do, what he would do uh, before was wait till it was like 10 o'clock at night and it was dark. We had this big white wall in our crappy little apartment and he would stack it up on some books and just flick through his pictures and just look at them big up on a wall, like all slide work, all, all chrome. And it was just really fun to do it and look at his work because he was super talented. So I was just like, are we going to do this with, with this like first role? <laughs> so, so we did. And like hook, line and sinker, man, like that was it for me. For me, it was like, I, you know, I was, I was like 21 at the time. Um, I had already, I had just gotten my degree in English and it was always kind of preordained that I would be doing like journalism or writing because that's what I had studied in school and I you know in like high school I had had some things published and it was always like writing was was where it was at for me but the photography that came in and just like hit me sideways and and I was so enthralled by it because it wasn't something that I was good at it wasn't something that I had any sort of skill in I had no visual literacy I had no I had nothing I just picked up a camera. I thought the camera was cool. And then I just fell in love with it. And it was a challenge. So that's why I, I started getting obsessed. And like when I get into something, I can, I can go pretty deep. So 
for that sure. was the initial that was the initial spark so mm -hmm. a roommate with a a, a pentax yeah oh god <laughs> yeah. i uh, i still have my pentax i saw you i think it's the me super uh, really yeah i still I love it you haven't shown it to me yeah yeah it was my dad's mm. and uh he gave it to me when he when i went to college that was the first camera i ever shot with as well nice and yeah i mean the magic of sending a roll off is special <laughs> it is it is and it's like it's i mean maybe i'm jumping ahead a bit but it's also like it was also the grand fear as it became something that became a job where it's like you're sending your your work into a lab and and the grand stress of back in the film days was oh please don't mess up the film please don't mess up the film don't scratch it don't over you know you, you can never you know you're basically if you're a controlling person you're giving control over to this you know faceless people in the back of a lab so that was always the, the freaky part but yeah that anticipation and i think that's probably what's driving a lot of the more the kind of film renaissance of now is people want that excitement they don't want to just you know take a shot with their iphone and delete it or take a shot with their digital camera and delete it right right it's not a a way of working that really you know that really syncs up well with how you got to be a professional these days but it's romantic for sure yeah and, and i get that i mean there's something nice about it being process driven and a little mm -hmm. more slows you down a little bit you really have to make sure that exposure it does it's going to be nailed and yeah and you forget a lot of you forget a lot of the things that you had to think about with you know we've obviously we've we go we talk about cameras a lot and and there's a lot of film camera discussion it definitely is a different process and it's so much fun and it's fun to go back especially when it's things aren't riding on it as much yeah as it was before so did you ever have a, a formal mentor in photography or you were just finding your own way well i kind of found my way for the first while I went back to Vancouver, which is where I'm from, and I had a, like a, a job out of university that was in public relations. So it was like totally outside of what I was doing, and it was basically my life started at five o'clock because I'd go to the I'd go there was like a printing lab in Vancouver, and you could go in there and use the dark room, develop film, make prints, and I just like I was there every day, and probably to an annoying level for the people who work there, and I just you know, digested as much information that I could find. I had a Kodak field guide. So I kind of got myself to a certain level where I felt comfortable and competent. And, or not, not really, not, I wouldn't say competent. I'd say comfortable that it was something that I, I was really, really deeply into. And then I decided that it would be smart to maybe get a little bit of formal training. So I decided to go down to a school in Santa Barbara, which is no longer, it was called the Brooks Institute. And uh, so I kind of enrolled there. I was really only in classes for a couple of months. It wasn't really, it wasn't really for me. Like I, I was, I felt like I had, I needed a bunch more technical information and all this. Like like I was missing these links because I was teaching myself. And when I got there, I was you know 24 years old. Um, everybody there was you know 18 straight out of high school. They didn't really know if they wanted to do photography for a living. It was kind of a it was kind of a, um, they were dipping their toes in. And for me, it was like, like, this is what I was going to do. I wasn't, there wasn't a choice about it, right? Like I was just going to do it. Right. So when I got a lot of, I got a lot of great info there, but it was a very short period of time. But, you know, we went there and it was like four by five, dip and dunk film stuff, which was, you know, at that time, that was like the high level of technical shooting. And then, uh, so after a couple of months, 
I was also Canadian in the States and the exchange rate was terrible. So it was extremely expensive to be down there. And I decided to kind of work under the table as a assistant. So I met a couple of photographers who were down there and, you know, I was basically just filing people's negatives and classifying people's slides and these kind of 80s and early 90s commercial photographers who were really super interesting. So I just, you know, hung out in their studios and they would pay me in food or, you know, lunch or, you know, 50 bucks here and there, which was like a godsend. And then they started taking me out on some of their shoots as they realized that I, I could probably set up a light stand. And once I'd kind of gone down the path with that for a few months, it was like, okay, you know what? I'm learning so much more from these guys. Like even just like hearing them talk to their reps or hearing them talk to their first assistants, like just total sponge style, you know, you just suck it all in. And I was like, this is, this is a lot more me than, you know, talking about creative processes in a classroom. So I, I, uh, I kind of cut out of Brooks early and I went back to Vancouver and I started assisting. I just kind of met up with some photographers who were actually all in the fashion world, which wasn't something that I was interested in personally so much, but I always saw like fashion work as something where the lighting, it, you know, was all about lighting. It was all about composition and you really kind of high-end beautiful stuff. And I found a group of photographers that were sharing a studio in the East End and just kind of ingratiated my way in there and just started helping out and they let me use their lights at night and I just tried to live there as much as possible. At that point did you find that you were drawn to one more specific area within photography or, or not or were you just okay. still feeling it all out? Oh no, 100% like the whole like, yeah I probably should have mentioned this earlier, the, the whole reason that I wanted to do photography was to pursue story-based stuff, documentary stuff, but that that's what I wanted to do post-school. I'd run the newspaper at school and it was all about stories. It was all about finding interesting stories and meeting interesting people. And for me, the choice to go in the pho photography direction was like, it was simply a matter of access, right? You call somebody up and you say, hi, I'm a reporter with, you know, the New York Times, and it's about a subject that they don't want to talk about, click. Right. You call them up and you go, hi, I'm a photographer. I'd like to come and hang out and take your picture. Well, people are a lot more open to that. You get into more interesting places. You get to meet more interesting people. And it was like the first few times I went out and started taking pictures of other, of, of other people. And, and instead of just like going and taking pictures to learn, learning enough so that I can go and like take pictures of people while they're doing things. It was like, wow, this is so much easier than calling them up. So, <laughs> path of least resistance and, and on some levels, I guess. But uh, for me, it was, it was a less confrontational way to, to be able to kind of pursue my interests in, in, in stories. Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. So that was, that was always the kind of goal. But I did see it also as something where I've told this to a few of my friends before. I don't think I've told you, but when I, I have like one of the most kind of impressive fathers you know you could have and they never they were always extremely supportive and when he knew that I really wanted to do this as a living he sat me down at lunch we used to meet this is when he was still working uh, we used to meet for lunch like once every two weeks and we go to like you know a little kind of diner place and, and sit down and have a quick lunch and then both go back to work this one time we sat down and he like pulled out a folder and it was a spreadsheet because at that time I was like 21 
he was doing my taxes and he'd be like, okay, this is, if you, I know you want to do photography, but this is what it's going to cost for you. I don't know anything about photography, but I do know that it's going to cost, you know, this is how much it costs for, you know, cell phones. And this is what you like, you have to cover all this while you're taking pictures. You have to find a way to make it work. And that was like a huge moment where it was like, all right, that's fine. I'll just make that work. I'll just figure out a way to make it work. So there was always in the back of my mind, this, I guess, pragmatism to what it is to take pictures for a living as well. I think, I mean, you know, I, I can be extremely unpragmatic too. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we basically, I basically was like, okay, I got to figure out a way to make this work. So because I was hanging around with all these fashion photographers in Vancouver, they would do like model testing. So they would get access to, you know, the modeling agencies and they would have new people come into the agencies and they'd send them, farm them out to photographers to get new headshots and see if, they, if they'd work. And then for the people that were, you know, maybe wanted to be models, but weren't really, really models, mm-hmm. you know, when you're starting out, that's who you get to photograph. So I would do model tests of people and I was, you know, honestly quite terrible at it, <laughs> but it gave me a chance to like, test lighting right. and and try different things that I would see that that the photographers I was I was ha- uh, hanging around with what they would do and try my own way of doing things and you know just sheer you know brute force attack just just volume of shooting like the more people the better right so there was that kind of practical side although I, kn- I knew I would never get involved in that world I just felt like I should know how to do it or at least to like things for sure. Yeah. I briefly, after college, assisted a fashion photographer for like three days and remember somebody, it was either a photographer or the stylist, just having an absolute meltdown on set. And I was like, this is not for me. Oh, <laughs> this yeah. world is so not for me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there were, well, yeah. And it's funny because that was also the world where it kind of kicked me in the butt a little bit where I knew that I had to leave Vancouver because Vancouver is a wonderful place to live if maybe you're a a lawyer or a doctor or something like that like a like a good living but in the creative community it's especially back then you know it was very small and uh, you're very limited and and I remember at the end of my kind of year that I had been there one of the photographers I was assisting was shooting like a, a big campaign for one of the a big campaign in in relation to the size of the market campaign for a shopping mall and at the end of the shoot the creative director from the shopping mall was like, oh, you know, I haven't met you before. Maybe you should, you can show me some of your work. And I was like, that was super cool that she would say that. But like, A, like I didn't have work to show. But then I thought about it a little bit more and I was like, wow, if I've only been here assisting for a year and maybe it's time for me to go and try myself in a, in a bigger market and see if I'm actually, if I could actually make it in a bigger market. I wasn't ready to shoot yet, basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what kind of, uh, that was the one of the two catalysts of why I moved to Toronto. I knew that all the work in Canada comes out of Toronto. It's just, there's no, there's just, that's where it all is. That's where the agencies are. That's where all the publication was, I guess, <laughs> is and was. Right. Um, so that was my big, um, my big move. And, and there was this one guy, the story of, uh, the story of, why I moved there, I was assisting a bunch of different photographers and 
there was a there was a guy coming in from Toronto to shoot something in Vancouver. He's being flown in to do like back in the day, annual reports were like all the rage, right? Right. Uh, he's like, <laughs> totally. he's like, they'd spend so much money on annual reports, and and I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, imagine if I could shoot an annual report, you know, for a big company. Was like kind of the dream job because you could do you could actually do some cool stuff for this style of photography that I was into. So so this photographer, his name uh, was Per Christensen. He came into town, and my job was to meet him at the hotel, take him to the shoot. He was for a bank, and he had to do a portrait of the CEO of the bank. So he came into town. I met him at the hotel uh, in the lobby. He comes down. He kind of looks like you. He has that like blonde Teutonic kind of guy. He's uh, I think he was Norwegian. Yeah. He he comes strutting across the li- uh, across the lobby. He has you know like the perfect glasses, the perfect hair, all dressed in black. The most charming, awesome guy. And I was like, who? This is a, like a real photographer, you know. Everybody in everybody in BC were all wearing fleece and tevas, right? So <laughs> he he just all of a sudden it seemed very very serious. So we we go up to this boardroom. He sets up this lighting thing that blew my mind. I'd never seen like the style of how he had lit things. It was him and a creative director. He had like 15 minutes with the CEO. He was like charming. He was on it. He knew exactly what he wanted. Boom, 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 boom. Took some great pictures of him. And it was like, that was it. It was done. And I was like, oh, like this was like two hours later. Like I met him at 8 a.m. and it was like 10. And he turns to me and he goes, okay, we want to eat some sushi. because." <laughs> Vancouver is known for a sushi place. <laughs> Do you know any places to, to, to go for sushi? I'm like, sure. And he goes, all right, let's go. And so I sat down there with him and his creative director, and I just listened to them talk, and I was fascinated by it. It was like, this is the real deal in my mind. So at the end of the meal, he was like, that was good sushi. Hey, if you're ever in Toronto, look me up. That was his line. He shook my hand. I'm sure he said it to many, many people. And and he left. And I remember going back and talking to my girlfriend at the time. I'm just like, it was so cool. It was so great. So I took him up on the offer. Basically, within a week, I'd packed up my van and I drove across the country and moved to Toronto. I had some friends from university who were there and they they were able to find me like a sublet to crash for a couple months. I called his studio manager and said I was coming into town. The studio manager had no idea who, who I was. I'm like, oh yeah, but I assisted him on that shoot. He's like, what shoot? This guy was like super busy. He's like, he's <laughs> shooting every other day. Right. But anyway, I showed up and you know, four days later I was, I was working with him and I worked with him for like 18 months. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. And it was like, I went to Toronto and, and there were people, you know, everybody was like, it's really cold there and people are mean and it's the big city and you're, you know, like they're, they're kind of setting you up for failure, but like, that was not what it was like. I think like when you get to a creative, a creatively vibrant place where there's a lot of work and there's a lot of talent, you don't get that weird caginess that you get in smaller markets, right. I think. Yeah. And, and I felt like. I was like instantly in this world that I just, wow, I was so, so into it. Ah, incredible. Yeah. <laughs> so that was it. So, and then from there, I just, I stayed there for a long time. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. I feel like the way you described that photographer, I'd encountered mm-hmm. a few guys like that in New York mm-hmm. and it was just when you met them, they were working at a whole other level of like oh, yeah. everything across the board. Oh yeah. Like a whole nother level of professionalism and 
aesthetics and dialed in and connections and the whole thing. Absolutely. And, and, you know, Toronto is Toronto. It it is a big city and there is good work there, like a lot of creative talent there. I mean, it's not New York. Yeah, it was a, a very mature scene, which was what I was looking for. So you just had a, a beautiful post on Instagram, which I really loved, talking about the fact that it's your 16th anniversary of going pro. And uh, I thought that was a really cool story and was wondering if you might feel like sharing it. Sure, of course. And the only reason I posted it, because usually I keep those things to myself. I don't really like sharing too much on Instagram. I'm just like that classic kind of put a picture up and not say too much about it. But I had been speaking with a friend of mine who who's a writer and she she's like you should you should actually like caption some of that stuff and I'm like yeah well you know I get so much more out of reading other people's stuff so anyway point being so I had assisted for a while three years I guess in Toronto as well and at that point I had started thinking about like ideas you know that I had for stories straight out of the classic uh, documentary style stuff that I was interested in and I had an idea about, well, at that time, Fort McMurray is a place like about three hours north of Edmonton. And, you know, Edmonton's, it's, it's in Alberta, it's north, it's, it's our oil patch. You know, Canada has a very large oil industry, but it's, it's a really expensive process. You, they have to take the oil out of sand and they have to process pretty dirty. And so when, when, uh, when barrel prices are high, then it's really like, you know, things are good. So it's a classic boom town. Right. It, it booms, it busts at the time in 2003 when when uh, it was in it was in a boom cycle. So I had this idea of basically like it, it was such a it's kind of a weak idea. But like, what's it like to live in a boom town? That was, you know, there's your one sentence elevator pitch. And I had been showing some work around to different magazines, one of them being Canadian Geographic, Canadian Geographic's based in Ottawa. So I decided you know, the, the, I said, look, look, I'm going to come to Ottawa. Maybe I could come in and see you and pitch you a story. And the woman there said, yeah, yeah, sure. Why not? They don't have a lot of people probably walking in because Ottawa is not a very big place for that. Uh, so I went in, met with her. She liked some of my other work. And I said, what about Fort McMurray as a Boomtown story? And she said, yeah, it sounds interesting, but they weren't going to just like give me money to do it. It was basically like a spec job. It was go out and do it and we'll see if we like it. Which is, you know, I mean, everybody does spec work. And especially when you're super young and you don't have any bylines and you don't have any real work to show up. Uh, so I went and did it, packed up the van again, drove across the country. And I really, like, I had I had like a hotel room and I really didn't have any contacts. Like, I, I knew, I had found out the name of the PR people at the big oil company, so I could always kind of get access to them. But I basically just showed up at this hotel with a, a couple hundred rolls of film and two cameras. And I just like, I was so freaked out. I was like, what am I doing here? Like, what am like, where's, I don't even know where the story is. And I just went to like the first night I, there was a rec center, like with a hockey rink and, uh, and some, and I went there. I was like, okay, well, I'll go, I'll just go scope out the town. I'm going to go scope out the town. First place I went, there was a curling, like a weeknight curling thing going on. And I just was hanging around the rink with my camera, just taking pictures, and then struck up a conversation with the guys who were playing. And I'm like, do you mind if I take your picture? And from then on, that's just how I did it. So I ended up going and spending six weeks up there photographing with 
you know, the RCMP because there's a lot of drug issues up there as well because it's, you know, it's a lot of young guys who are going up there and getting paid a lot of money to do some really crazy manual labor level work and they're blowing it on, you know, cocaine and, and, and getting wasted and, and it's just, it's, it's the wild west up there. But then there's also this whole group of people who were, had been there since the seventies in the first major boom and who had started a life there and were super fascinating. So there were like, and it was a global, it was kind of a global city. You had people from South Africa who are engineers. You had people from all over the world who were experts going up there to make this giant oil machine happen. And it was really, really neat. So luckily it was, you know, the, the story was there. I took a bunch of pictures, you know, developed the film while I was there and then came back, showed them some selects. They liked it. They wanted to do it as a story so that I could, I ended up writing it as well. So um, it wasn't like a feature style writing story, but it was like extended captions with like a thousand word intro. Yeah. So it was, it was good. And I came back and I felt like, you know, as I said, my Instagram post, it's very difficult for me to look at those pictures because like they just kind of make me cringe now, but you know, I, I do. Yeah. It was a little, a little bit of a look back for me, which was kind of nice to, to do. Cause mm-hmm. I don't really like to look back too much. Yeah. I thought it was really beautifully put and I like the photos. Mm. <laughs> You're being extremely generous. Yeah. Styles change, but, yeah. um, but ultimately like from that, that gave me confidence to be able to like, okay, well maybe I've got some good ideas and I've been able to go and do it. And I didn't like, I didn't have a nervous breakdown. I didn't freak out too much. I, I, and I was able to get pictures and I was able to stick with a story. And that gave me like a, a grounding, like at least a, a very flimsy, but a, a floor to stand on. And sure. that's, I think, important for all creative people to have that, to do something like that and, and, and to have an early success. Like if, if that hadn't worked out for me, then I'd I don't know. I probably wouldn't be a photographer anymore. Probably would have gotten down on it. And, you know, you know how our brains work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Right. So from there, did that propel you more into the travel editorial world? I know you've done a lot of work for, you know, various airline magazines and Con S Traveler and stuff like that. Right. How did that sort of transition? Well, it, it did. It took a while. It took, a, it took, I mean, I, I think my first travel assignment in, 2008 like serious like destination travel assignment which i was like you know through the moon you know just over the moon about and um but i had been doing more self kind of self-assigned longer term documentary projects Mm -hmm. just so that like my whole thing was that i knew the people that i i really wanted to work for and i knew that i wanted to send them like new work and show them like hey i'm shooting stuff and so I did this thing for like two years following Mormon missionaries. And at the same time, I'm, I'm assisting. I'm trying to transition into getting some, you know, a little bit of uh, low-end advertising work and the odd like kind of one-off. I was shooting for newspapers. I was like, I was just like, just trying everything. I, I didn't know. Nobody had told me like that there's a path to do it. So I just like, oh, maybe, maybe the Global Mail let me shoot for them. And they did. Ultimately... The idea was to get fresh work in front of like the six or seven people who I thought were the best, I guess, photo directors or art directors at different magazines that I like really wanted to shoot for. And so it was, it was a combination of self-signed work, getting the one-off shoots, and then assisting is, was, you know, the way I was paying the rent. 
But I definitely wanted to do travel work, and I had been sending my work to the Air Canada magazine, which is called En Route, for like two years. Never heard a word from them. Never heard a word from them. I was like, oh, they must hate me, but I'm still going to send them some stuff. You have to. Like every six weeks, I'm going to send them stuff. I wouldn't even know if, if, like, this is back in the day when you send, like, PDFs in an email, right? I guess you still do that now, but, and then, like, it must have been, it was about two years later, I remember it was a Friday, at this point I had a, I had a photo studio, and things had gone in a slightly different direction mm-hmm. for me, and I got this weird phone call from Montreal, because that's where Air Canada is based, which is our kind of French sister city, and it's the photo director, Mirabelle, and she's like, hello, Jean. And I'm like, like, why are you calling me? She's like, I, we have an assignment in Costa Rica next week. Do you want to do it? It was like one of those, like, just like there wasn't any like banter. It was, do, and I was like, yes, of course I do. Are you kidding me? Amazing. I don't, I, I didn't even ask what the project was because I didn't care. It's like, you're going to send me to Costa Rica? Anyway, and that's kind of like how everybody, everybody wants to do travel work because you get to go places. Same here. Like, right. that's kind of what it's all about. But the job was for me to follow a writer and his family as they did a story on doing a family vacation in eco lodges mm. all throughout Costa Rica. So we went to these really nice places uh, that were fascinating and just filled with wildlife. And I'm not a wildlife photographer. It wasn't like a long lens, sit there and take a picture of the pelicans. Or, well, the pelicans are in Costa Rica. What are those birds with the macaws? Right. Yeah. It wasn't that kind of a gig. It was like a follow gig which ultimately has been kind of what I've done a lot of since and before, is hear people doing things, go take some pictures, get some nice landscapes. And I didn't know what the, you know, there wasn't a large brief from them. They just told me what the story was. And I was going to be there with the writers, so I figured I'd figure it out. And uh, it was a really fun experience. Oh, it was very great. cool. Yeah. God, yeah, I know. That's like yeah. Shangri-La getting paid to travel and take photos yeah and that was also in a time where it was it was actually it was also something that you could do and be like a realistic way to make a living yeah right the travel photography has been you know decimated by like like legit travel photography has been decimated by social media but also people don't pick up magazines anymore even the biggest magazines in the world uh there's, you know, I get a, I get a monthly call out from all of them looking for images to buy instead of sending wow. a photographer, right? But that's the nature yeah. of the beast. And it's, you know, and I still have good relationships with them and I get to have talked with them about it. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a different world out there from even 2008 or maybe it was 2007, but anyway, right. it's, I mean, that must've been an incredible time though, of like learning this whole new way of shooting and working with editors and all that. Is there any thing that you took away from editor notes and and actually crafting a story mm. that you then sort of adopted? That's a good question. Yeah. Or maybe maybe I'll ask it this way. What do you think makes a good travel story? If you're you're going out and you're shooting Lord only knows how many photos and you've got to distill that into like a pretty focused edit. Right. Well, okay, so you know at the beginning okay, let me think about how I want to approach this because sure. that's like there's a lot of different things wrapped up in this. It's a good one. Like, like you have, when you first start doing travel stories, I was there to just coverage. You know, you don't really know what the story is going to be like. You're just shooting for coverage. As I progressed along them, I would get to know 
the writer's aspect of the story a lot better. And I think going out with the writer, it doesn't always happen. Lots of times you're actually on your own with a shot list and that's can be, those can be more challenging because you're like, okay, well, the shot list is long. I have four or five days. I've got to cram it all in and it doesn't give you a lot of time to explore. But you always end up finding stuff. They always end up running the shots that you like, you just turned around and you saw something happening and you click and then they love, they love it. And it's like, great. Right. It's not the shot you got up at 4am for. It's right. Like, right. Of course. It's not the one. Some yeah. shot on the way to dinner. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But that's also the beauty of the style of shooting. Like as you start loosening up, as you do more of them, you just put yourself in more situations where you can find those shots or you know where to be for certain vibes because like a like a like a travel story has to make you obviously want to go there and depending on what the focus like like a general travel story like they don't really do like they wouldn't do like a travel story on canada anymore it's not like these big broad destination shoots anymore they're very hyper specific to a certain thing it's like i went to hong kong once and it was specifically to do a story on pineapple buns which is like a breakfast stable in, in, in Hong Kong, which is basically like a, it's like this kind of doughy bun that has a giant slab of butter in the middle. And then it's warm, but the bun is warmed up and the, and it's, uh, the butter is cool. And people eat that with tea, with really strong tea with milk. And that's like breakfast. Nice. And that's why we went to Hong Kong, <laughs> you know? Amazing. Like, so, so it's not like, oh, I want to go and see, like, you have to be really specific about stuff now, with, especially with your pitches. But I think what makes a good travel story, to get back at what you're talking about, is how do you see this very narrow slice of, of a place or, or, like, the food scene in a place or this really small, narrow bandwidth thing that you're going to go and, and accomplish and make it speak to a larger sense of excitement and romanticism and also be representative of the place as a whole. We did a job in Jamaica and it was about jerk chicken. All we did was eat jerk chicken. We just went to find the best jerk chicken between Ocho Rios and the grill. It was the first time I'd been to Jamaica. I was super excited. And it was like, it was insane because we were just trying to find the story ourselves, the writer and his girlfriend, he brought his girlfriend. The writer has become a very close friend of mine. Uh, we've done a lot of stories together. And it was like, but how do we do this and, and get enough shots that it still feels like you're in Jamaica and you're not just looking at a bunch of detail food shots? Right. And luckily we were driving, we had our own car, so we were driving around and they just, it appeared that, you know, you can't overthink it too much too, right? Those shots are there. Like they ran a shot of me taking a picture through the front window as we went through this, uh, of the car as we went through this tiny little dirt path to go to, to go to another jerk place that people didn't know about. And then, you know, because I was with a great writer who is, has the same sensibility of like, I don't want to see the regular stuff. We ended up at the chef's mother-in-law's house up in the hills. You know, wow. she had like giant roaches of monster joints that she would smoke. <laughs> and like her son's climbing the tree and p- picking ackee out of the tree. And she cooked us fisherman's tea, which is like a classic kind of soup there and like like roasted fish and all this stuff oh him God. and the she and the chef and it was like we're in your home and that's those are the moments where you're just like i've got the sweetest job in the world you know? right Absolutely. and there's always one or two of those on a on a travel shoot yeah it makes you want to do them more so did you find that a specific style was starting to emerge in your work i, I don't know if it came about because of the travel shooting 
what I was saying before about the fashion stuff where I, I knew I didn't want to do fashion, but I knew I wanted to learn about lighting and mm-hmm. those types of things. I think the reason why you get travel jobs, the majority of travel jobs, is because you're a generalist as a photographer. You know, you can, you can take a relatively decent portrait. You can take a relatively decent landscape, relatively decent food shot. And that's really what, what, especially when I was starting out, they're looking for. It's like, we want to send you to this place, but we need, to, we need a lot of different things. So are you the type of photographer that can supply that? And maybe that's why they waited two years to contact me, because they didn't see that it had that general aspect, general oh, yeah. style of photography. Right. I mean, I think I probably have a visual style. I don't think about that stuff too much. But because people had hired me to do just portraits, people had hired me to do just food. Uh, a lot of these clients didn't know I did either one of those things. They come to my studio and it's like full tilt production food shoots, and and they're like, "So what are you doing? What are you what are you working on now?" It's like, "Oh, I'm I'm doing a travel job, or I'm I'm working on a documentary." It's like they just one hand doesn't talk to the other, even in such a small world as um, publishing. So right. yeah, so I think it was more because I was a generalist. That's a, that's a good skill set to have obviously for travel photography yeah i think though i look at like new photographers who are or or like the like post instagram kind of generation of photographers who are doing amazing travel work they're a lot more i feel like they know what they're doing when they show up most of the time that i like the problem with travel jobs is that it's it seems like it's pretty glamorous but it's like they're long days you're shooting you know you know sun up to sundown and you're shooting in between you're just you're just stressing out about getting enough shots that you that that everything can work right right and if sometimes you'll just be sometimes you may only be in like a sweet spot like you know you're in a sweet spot with a shot or a scenario that you're in where you're like oh this is gonna be great like once or twice right in that span so you're like how am i gonna fill this in so you're kind of like obsessing in your hotel room or your tent or wherever you're staying and you're just like looking at all your work and trying to you know for me the 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 sequencing of images is super important so i just like start pulling out the work that i like the most and trying to see if it works as a sequence because if it works as a sequence in my mind i figure that the art directors are going to like it too right lots of times though they publish things in sequence that you didn't even think of and it's way better like working with a good editor is like it's such a joy yeah it's like the best you know, you're just so, so like rubbing your hands together about getting to see what, how they're going to put together. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, was there any editor specifically that you really enjoyed working with? That, mm. that sort of. Yeah. There was um, one of the old editors at Gourmet Magazine, Gourmet Folded in like 2007. Yeah. Her name is um, Erica Oliveri, and she was kind of the whirlwind behind the look of that thing. Oh, wow. And so when that closed down, she started working on special projects in McLean's, which is kind of like, it's like Time Magazine in Canada. They hired her. They started doing these special issues mm. where they would do like, you know, this was as magazines were starting to like the beginning of the precipice. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, 2012. It was the same year that I closed my photo studio, oh, wow. 2012, to focus on directing. And then I get this call from McLean's and they're like, do you want to do this job? It's kind of interesting, and Eric Oliveri is going to, is designing it, and I was like, "What, really?" Anyway, it was a it was like a nine week travel gig across Canada, and it was the fifty best restaurants in Canada. 
So, and it was like, the idea was I was going to do a road trip and photograph just same generalist approach right. is heavy on food. There were 50 restaurants. You had to shoot every restaurant, all the food, all the people, but then everything kind of in between. And so I was like, are you kidding me? Like, of course, I could love to do that. And working with her was like an absolute revelation. She would send me like inspiration boards mm. of, of, you know, sometimes my work, other people's work. She'd send me like articles of things to read that didn't have anything to do with restaurants. And then she would take like, cause this is nine, nine weeks and I did it in successive three week clumps across the country in Canada's a big country. Yeah. She would take the chunks and design them. She would, she wanted to see pictures right away. And I started on the East coast of Canada. So St. John's mm-hmm. Newfoundland, which has become a large part of my life. And it was like, by the time I finished shooting that out for like two or three days, I sent her files and she had laid a bunch of stuff out because she wanted to get a feeling of what this thing would look like and then sending it back to me. And I remember like getting it when I hit the next province and I was like, oh my God, this is going to be so cool. Because She was taking stuff that was like, I was sending her everything. There's some editors you don't send everything to. There's some editors you send, like you have full confidence in. Right. So she was pulling shots that were like, overexposed misfires and like just plunking them in and these it was so cool so working <laughs> wow. with her was great like I'm I, I can barely contain my smile so I know that you've had a somewhat food focused I did yeah career especially within the travel stuff is there any fun food centric story I mean I know you've done an aperitivo story in Bologna and right you know all sorts of things in Spain and yeah well you're 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 I mean you and I talk about your, 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 your love for Italy is just a little bit more than mine. Just a tiny bit maybe, more. Maybe a little. Yeah. <laughs> the, Bolo- the Bologna story was, I did it for Condé Nast, and it was my first ever job for them. It was at a time when I was, uh, myself and my ex-wife were thinking about spending more time in Europe. And so I was like, okay, well, I've got to start finding some work out of Europe. So I had gone, I was in London, and I went to go see them. And... And it was just like a timing thing, you know. I walked in, I met them; they were super nice. And the commissioning editor was like, "Oh, we actually have a, a, a story in um, in Bologna if you want to go." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I'll go for sure." And it was great because I had an assistant. Usually, I don't have assistants mm. for that because I don't speak Italian, but he did. The brief was aperitivo, you know, from five to seven or four to seven, depending on, <laughs> on what part of the town you're in. People go out for drinks. And so we basically just went to aperitivo bars and took pictures and, and went to certain restaurants where they had the traditional bolognese uh, food, what, you know, tortellini and burrotto and stuff like that. Oh, and it, was, it was a lot of fun. That was also one of those jobs where there is a shot list. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a big big publication they don't mess around and that sounds like my dream job yes that that assignment right there (laughs) yeah it was fun and the best part about that job was that we went to this one place the first place we went to there was a a a woman from brussels who was sitting beside us as we tried to shoot the interior of this and she was like oh what are you doing and you know gave her the oh i'm here i'm a canadian here to do this gave her the brief and she was like oh well that's really cool you should you should also check out these places that's part of the real key to true good a good travel story is that like it doesn't matter what's on your shot list some things you just know that will never happen won't make a good picture it's like every single person you meet 
it's like, where should I go next? Right. Where should I go next? Where should I go next? And I say it, you know, 15 times a day, no doubt. And anyway, this, this woman was super cool. And she was like, oh, I'll take you there. Or I'll meet you there. And she ended up hanging out with us for like three of the days. And I was like, she had, I, I had complimented on her nails. She had these really kind of crazy nails. And she was like, oh, thanks. And she had really nice hands. So I was like, hey, do you mind holding that uh, wine glass there? And I'd take the picture. So I'd like totally use her as a hand model. Perfect. But, <laughs> but she was fine with it because, you know, we had a little bit of a budget to be able to get our aperitivos paid for. So Very nice. <laughs> and it was a good, it was great. And lots of times you have these, those, those types of encounters where it's like, you know, the real place you should go is blah, 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 blah. Can you think of any jobs that had a particularly challenging story or particularly funny story from the travel work? Yeah, I mean, there's always, there's definitely always challenges. I mean, there's also, there's also some pretty funny stuff. We did a job in Lyon, which is, you know, one of the, one of the greatest towns I've ever been in, in France, for sure. And I was with Adam Golner, who's the writer who, who I work with a lot, and, and he is fully French. And we had this like so the whole story in Lyon is about uh, bouchons so bouchons are like basically like mom and pop like old old people kind of restaurants where they serve classic french dishes yeah like super classic stuff this is like Lyon is the heart of french cooking it's the heart of it's the epicenter of kind of world cooking if you talk to chefs so we were there basically going to these like run by one person with a, a little bit of help shops and having dinner and we went to this one place that shall remain nameless and we walked in it must have been like seven o'clock at night place is completely completely empty walk in adam says in french we'd like to sit down and have dinner and and they look at us like we you know murdered somebody and <laughs> and she's like well but no do you have a reservation and we look around at this completely, like completely empty room. It's just the two of them standing at the front, and and Adam's politely like, "No, we don't have a reservation. We were hoping we could just walk in and, and have a table." And I'm sorry, there are no tables available. And Adam's like, "Well, certainly there's a table available. The place is empty." And they're like, "No, you cannot. You cannot without a reservation." And and then, and I'm sitting there. You know, my my kind of first instinct is like, "All right, let's just let's just go somewhere else." And Adam's like. Is it possible for me to make a reservation? And then the woman opens the book. She goes, I'll check. She opens the book. She looks and she goes, yes, I think we can fit you in at 7.30, <laughs> which is half an hour from, from now. So he was like, we'll take that reservation. Uh, and we walk out the door and we basically stand out in front of this place for the next half hour. We walk around the block, just killing time for half an hour. Adam really, really, really wanted to eat at this place because they had a certain, I forget what dish it was, but a certain dish that he needed to try. So we go in, open the door, same, completely empty, same two people. And Adam goes, hi. And they pretend that they had never seen us before. <laughs> and Adam looks at them and says, we have a reservation for 7.30. And they're like, oh, right this way. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, it was like, oh, it, I love was, that. it was fun. It was funny. It was, uh, you know, you get those types of, you get these types of weird experiences, but like, that's the joy of doing it. That's why you do it. Absolutely. You're not going to get paid a lot of money to do it. So you may as well have fun. Yeah. That's a great one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Leon's a great place to visit though. Yeah. Yeah. I know that also too, we've talked about how your food photography has directly led to some of 
even more niche interest within the food realm is that you just sort of following your things. I know you're, you're very into Japanese teas and soba noodles, um, but also like tinned fish from, you know, Spain or Portugal and all these sort of like almost subcultures within food. Was that something that you cultivated or was that, did you get interested in that off of assignments? Oh yeah, for sure. Off of assignments. Mm -hmm. I'm not like personally, uh, I know, uh, I'm really not, totally into the food world so much because when I started doing food photography it was not like it was not cool food wasn't as as saturated as it is now it was very like oh food photography my whole thing like you know I'd have assistants come into the studio and they'd be like I really want to do food photography or I think I want to do food photography and I'd have like and I'd always say well that's great but like it's kind of it's kind of the like the bottom level you can make food look pretty good and not be a super talented photographer. You can make food look amazing if you're a super talented photographer, but there's so much need for it, especially back in those days. There's so much need for that type of photography that on either side of the spectrum, there's a place for you. It could probably get frustrating a bit. It's weird because like, like I did a lot of recipe type photography for magazines, you know, in the back of your magazine, you've got 10 pages of recipes and you shoot a bunch of nicely styled stuff and all very studio lit. And, and I really, really, truly enjoy that. Like it was fun, but it becomes repetitive at some point. And that's why I, I closed the studio down to focus on, you know, I was moving into directing at the time, but to focus on a little bit more of the more exciting stuff. Like I did a job once in Spain with a chef who was starting to import a lot of the canned food that's really popular in Spain, uh, canned fishes and stuff like that, like high-end high-end canned fishes into Toronto. And I'd never eaten that. Like I had sardines like everybody else, but right. I'd never eaten that. And it was like, oh, this is super tasty. So, you know, he's bringing it back and we're going to his restaurant and I'm telling my friends, like really it's just, you know, sometimes you, you get to experience something like six months before everybody else does and and you're kind of enthralled by it but then you go do another job and you know you get into Japanese tea or or (laughs) right that's just also my like kind of uh, obsessive type personality where you get to try something really interesting in a different place and and it's exciting and you kind of share it but but yeah the food the food world wasn't super cool when I thought I always always thought it was a bit I wouldn't really tell people that I would shoot a lot of it because it wasn't like I didn't see it as anything that was extremely special, but it's become something that's so much more in the last 10, 15 years. So, right. Uh, which is great because, because there's like beautiful work from it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Super talented people doing it. Like really like brass tacks, like the recipe shooting and the food shooting was really fun in the studio, but like that job I was telling you about when I had to go and shoot the 50 best restaurants, I was like over, you know, you, you're, you're constantly wanting to try new processes. You want to do different stuff. Like I had my kind of thing in the studio really dialed into a certain look and that's why people hired me. But then I got that job to go across the country and I was like, I don't want to shoot it like that. I don't want to bring, it's just going to be me. I don't want to bring all this stuff. I don't want it to be like overly stylized I don't want it to be like I don't gonna have a prop stylist I'm not gonna have a food stylist you're working with chefs chefs are not food stylists their chefs are people who feed other people food stylists are amazing people and a totally different animal so I wouldn't have like that to fall back on 
So my whole thing about that job was I'm going to set a bunch of parameters. I'm not going to bring any lights. I'm going to bring two lenses and two camera bodies. And I'm going to shoot the whole thing with, you know, a 50 and a 35. And that's what I did. And I was like, I know how, I know how light works. I, I can figure out a way. There's always going to be a window somewhere. And like, that's right. generally what, what food is, is you're putting it by a window or you're putting it by some sort of fake window. So was that, was that job on film or digital? That was digital. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You could, I couldn't do a job like that. You couldn't do a job like that. You could do it on film, but alone with no support yeah. and no ability to check your stuff. Like, no thanks. That's <laughs> too risky. Too risky. Too risky. And it's too expensive. And they're not going to pay for that stuff anymore. So, so yeah. Oh. So that 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 job was the thing where it was like, the shackles are off. I'm gonna. I'm just like I'm gonna trust myself that I know how to take a picture without all the extra support. And it was so freeing and so much fun and just like, because when you're doing studio work, and I was, it was a busy part of my life. Um, the last thing you want to do when you finish wrapping a bunch of jobs is pull out your camera and take it out when you go out with your friends or, or like you don't want to see that thing, right? right? Yeah. And for this, it was just like it being your friend again. Right. And that thing in your hand where you don't have to think about. Right. Yeah. It was, it was a really important project for me. You've mentioned your, your own photo studio a couple of times. Mm-hmm. How did that come about and what sort of work were you shooting there? So the food thing came about like randomly. I had a client who, an art director at a magazine that did custom publications and they were working, they had been doing the craft publications. Crafts was a huge client up in Canada. And he told me like, look, we're looking for new people who to shoot food. I know you can shoot food. The reason why he was saying that is because I used to assist food photographers and I used to just kind of stand there and you know, just watch because there's not a whole lot to do when you're sitting on a food shoot. And I was like, eh, yeah, I don't know. And then he said, no, you should really do it. It'd be great. Just just put together a, a, a little book. So my ex at the time, my, uh, my wife at the time, and I, I was like, should I do this? And she said, yeah, yeah, you should do this. And she was, and still is, an extremely talented prop stylist. And she had, we had a basement in our house filled with like all of her treasures. Wow. And... No, well, actually, maybe it wasn't so much then, but she had she had been starting to accumulate a ton of stuff. So we bought a bunch of like baked goods from a like a nice bakery. We just brought them home because we both of us don't really know how to cook, or marginally know how to cook. So we bought some like pastry stuff, brought it back, shot like ten shots in the kitchen, and I used that as a as a portfolio to show the art director. And he basically went through and said, "Like, perfect, great, all right." And then he's like, do you have a space to shoot? And I was like, well, I've been thinking, I've been thinking about getting a studio because I've been doing a lot of portrait work and all this. And uh, it just so happened that in the building that I have always been kind of centered around as an assistant and uh, one came up, it was way more space than I could afford. I was super worried about it, but I took it over and completely gutted it. Like it had massive walls, built a kitchen in it. And then basically, like the the day after we finished three weeks of construction on it, it was like we started shooting, and wow. like six or seven years didn't stop. Incredible. Yeah, it was nuts. And was it primarily food, tabletop stuff? Uh, no, it was food and portraits, yeah. lots of portraits, interior work. I, you know, I started out doing stuff on white. You know, like just like 
close cut work, like whatever I could get. I yeah. mean, I had this kind of take no prisoners approach. So, right. and then I know around that time you started moving a little bit more to duck filmmaking and shooting. What was the catalyst from jumping from stills to motion? Well, I had this one client. It was a uh, Toronto Life, which is like the the magazine in Toronto, the monthly. And for like five years, they were hiring me to do this this page, which is slightly prominent Canadian across all spectrums, like politicians, sports people, you know, um, whatever, musicians. And they would come in and I'd shoot them on white, like a portrait, full-length portrait on light, white, and they'd bring in their 10 favorite things that, that they couldn't live without. It was just like this city page thing, that, but they always had it and people loved it, I guess. Yeah. And for five years, not because of the photography, they just loved it because it was somebody they could read a little, little story about. So it was like super... Like people come in for like an hour or so and you just hang out with them and take their pictures. And the pictures aren't that exciting because it's like a full-length portrait of somebody on white. Like it doesn't get more dry, but it's it's was made to be so it could be annotated and you put all the different things around them and they talk about their most important things in their life. But it was really fun because you'd have these people who come in and, you know, you know, we had like the ex-governor general of Canada come in. People that we would never meet. I would never meet in passing or in real life sports people who I didn't know anything about their sport. And they would invariably come in and we'd just do what I normally do. i just start talking to people and shooting while I talk and very conversational. That was the thing. I don't really, I'd never really shot like models or famousy type people. It's more real life portraits right make people feel comfortable in front of the camera and invariably we have these conversations that were just really interesting and then the picture wasn't as interesting as the conversation so i've been kicking it around for a while it's like maybe i should like i should just be recording these at least but i never did but it got me into thinking more about getting back to storytelling because i was you know a, a working commercial photographer uh who you know you get busy and you lose your way and you just go, well, what am I doing all this for? I should be working on my, my own projects too. Yeah. And I used to be as, you know, that was what it was all about. You always have a personal project. Um, so I had heard about this project for the Tourette Society in Canada where they were looking for filmmakers to go out and shoot a bunch of different films. So it was a really great um, idea that had been put together by an ad agency, uh, Sachi and Sachi mm. in, in Toronto. And I heard the, uh, about it, and I had just so happened randomly to be reading about Tourette's like a couple of days before, so it's one of those coincidence things. And I thought that one thing was really interesting about it, so I pitched them the idea that for some people who have Tourette's, who have Tourette's syndrome, I should be technically accurate with what it's called, when they're doing something that they really love, their tics don't come around, right? So it's like... They could have like heavy, heavy ticks, verbal ticks, physical ticks. But if they're focused on the one thing that they really love to do in life, it goes away. So I heard music was a big part of it. I'm really into music. So I pitched them on this concept for a little doc uh, as part of their bigger program. And I got hooked up. I found a, a, a drummer in Denver who, that's what it was. When he drums, he doesn't tick. Wow. So I loaded up at that point. I didn't have a van, but the Subaru, and I drove to Denver with a bunch of stuff and a 5D and I that had honestly until I got to Denver had never really turned on in like video mode before so I was like shooting blind here 
And uh, I had been linked up with an editor who became a, who's become a very close friend of mine. And we had a couple discussions while I was on the road and basically met this guy, Matt Giordano is his name. And I, and I filmed him. I was there for eight days and I filmed him for eight days, just him and myself, an old version of this mic system that you have and, and a 5D and, you know, just talked to him about talked to him about what he does. We set up drums up in the mountains because he's in Denver. We did a bunch of stuff and I really had no idea what I was doing. But it was just based on this whole, like, there's more, there's more of a story out there. So I came back with that, with the footage. I had no idea, like, I had no idea. I, I remember that, and Paul, the editor, remembers this conversation well. He's like, so how was it? How was it the last day? How, how, how's the footage? I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't even know. I just, I don't <laughs> even know. I'm going to send it to you. So I like FedExed to him, I think, and then drove back. And then the kind of the next big love affair of work kind of started for me when I sat down in the edit suite with Paul and he was like, you know, he showed me a first cut of it. I had no idea, you know, no clue how to assemble footage at all. I can have an idea of how I want to see it visually, but not anything how the editing process works. Yeah. And I was just like, whoa, that this process is where it's at. And luckily I had a, a, a great friend to help me along with it. And anyway, that, that film got the attention of some reps in the commercial world because it, it, it went in the festival circuit. Oh, it was wow. like, it ended up being part of the Sachi project, which was a really big big thing at the time it was a very successful kind of campaign but then the film also got into a bunch of different like went to hot dogs and that and it and it won some awards and that so because of that a bunch of people started knocking and like again this is like a world that I had no didn't know a thing about wasn't planning on getting into and then um, I was in this meeting with a with a company and they were talking to me about the film and they were super like, oh, that's really cool. We should keep in touch and all that. And when I was leaving, the junior salesperson there kind of like took me aside and said, you and I have to like, I like, I really want to keep our relationship going. I think it would be re- really important. And uh, that was, uh, I guess, about eight, eight or nine years ago. And it, I, and that's Tasha, who's my, my main EP. So has been wow. with me forever and I've been with her. Yeah, it was, it was, I just kind of, man, I just got picked out of the, I just got picked out of the barrel of like, there are a ton of talented people out there who aren't getting a shot. And I, I lucked out because I had a film that did, did well. And, and then I was able to translate it into commercials, wow. which was something that I was not expecting to do at all. I yeah. just wanted to do docs, but and I got into kind of doing docy style commercials, which has led me here. That's how I probably met you. So. Yeah. I think so. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, see, I didn't know that story about you. I mean, I think it probably, it just, it's probably the culmination of continually making stuff, working on personal projects and specs and following interests and putting yeah. something out there. You know, it's, it's, it's easy to look back in hindsight and be like, yeah, well, it makes sense. I mean, I, but there's a certain amount of planning for your career and there's a certain amount of being ready to accept a certain amount of risk in your career, right? Yeah. Torching your photo career and closing your studio when you're busy isn't really a good plan. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's not the greatest plan. There was overlap. You know, I had made that film. The film had been successful. I saw that there was a a different tunnel on which to follow. Right. So it wasn't like it was, 
you know, it was still calculated. But, you know, you do have to be able to, to accept some risk, for sure, and to try stuff and, and also to fail. I mean, I've made a couple of starts at other docs that haven't worked out. I made a, a second one that was I really enjoyed and was great and as, as well did that circuit. But I think I, I, I just, you know, nobody wants to live a life of regrets, right? You don't want to yeah. You don't wanna look back and be like, oh, I should have done this, I should have done that. That's like my biggest fear in life. So I, don't, I, I just choose not to look back and right. feel that way. I think that's a good policy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hope so. So now seeing the landscape having changed dramatically from when you first started, are you phasing out photo stuff more in favor of directing and doc stuff do you still keep one foot in the photo world yeah i definitely keep one foot in the photo world still it's not i don't really keep it in as a like part of the business plan foot do you know what i mean it's more of like there there have been i still do a few assignments a year i just love getting out and shooting it's just so much fun okay so so you get like super busy trying to make a living at something and as you get super busy you realize that you're kind of straying from the thing that the core of what it is that you started in the first place for. And for me, it was like stories. And then I used a doc, a different form of storytelling, which got me into the commercial world. And the commercial world has been great for me and amazing. And like, I wouldn't change it for the world, but you know, I've shot a lot of, you know, you shoot a lot of commercials for money and it gets you away once again from Storytown. So I did, I was asked by uh, one of my closest friends to do a cookbook up in St. John's, Newfoundland. He's a chef. He's a kind of a, his name's Jeremy Charles. He's an incredible chef. He's an incredible human being. And he asked myself and Adam Golner, the, the writing partner, if we wanted to shoot a cookbook with him. And this, this story was, we were sitting at one of his restaurants having a pint and he, and he said, you guys ever heard of Fiden? And we were like, yeah. He goes, well, they've been asking me for like six months to do a cookbook. We're like, <laughs> What? Do you guys want to do a cookbook with me? And we're like, you you haven't like have you responded to them? Have you told them you want to do a cookbook? He's like, well, I've just been waiting. And he's the classic, you know. He just wants to cook and he just wants to hunt. He wants to fish. And I had always said that I would never do a cookbook because they just weren't really interesting to me. And and I'd been asked a lot and and I it just would never felt right. So when he said, I said like absolutely. So we it was been a two year project of basically me going to. Newfoundland over and over and over again to shoot the book and so that was been a really it comes out in May and it's been a really amazing process and it was basically they left us they never came up they're super nice to to deal with but they never came up they gave me some technical guidelines about how big the book is and what the page size is and what they generally look for like no napkins no cutlery plate with food because it's not like a cookbook because you can't make the food that Jeremy Charles makes like he it's very kind of high higher end stuff but it's a monograph so it's like this is my work on a plate concept so that was really interesting but then also you know we went moose hunting we went to some of the most remote parts of Labrador we we traveled all around the province as well to fill in the book because this is where he gets all he only cooks with food from the island wow so that was a project uh, that I'm just like a just to be done because it was it was a lot of work yeah, but I'm 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 happy with the results, and Very he's cool. happy, which matters the most. Yeah. Biden's happy. Do you still pitch travel stories, or is that is oh, that yeah. phase kind totally. of like, yeah? I just went to Japan in November on a story pitch. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I can't I can't. 
even though it's it's sometimes pitching is like beating your head against a wall it's like i just i can't get yeah i can't get it out of my system i always have some like oh this will be cool and then you know a month later maybe it won't be as cool or you've thought about it you're like that's actually kind of a crappy pitch but yeah i still send stuff out to the people that i work with editorially and keep in touch with them because because it's a, it's it's a really it's an important part of of who i am yeah that's a great way to work. I Absolutely. Mean, yeah. For anyone who might be younger and thinking of getting into that world, do you, do you feel like that door is closed or is there a way to oh, s- still no. get, get in? I don't think it's closed. I think like this is where I don't know, like I, I've missed the boat on social media and like how it works now about how maybe younger photographers are able to get interesting co-branded work. Like it seems like it's not, it's less magazine stuff. It's more, you know, Patagonia might give you a job and, and you look at like photographers like Chris Burkhart, right. someone like that, who's, you know, got a, a bunch of followers, seems like a, an incredible human being and gets to go and do everything he could possibly want travel wise and do it for brands. And so there, there is some avenue and that it does work. I just, I, I've never pursued it. I have no idea about it. But I think that if you want to be, I mean, I don't even know if it applies to be a generalist anymore. For someone like me, it's like, like I, I'm not looking, I've never really been out like looking for new work. I'm just kind of keeping my, my, my regular group of people who I have a great working relationship with together. Hmm. What would I say? Maybe, can I, let me ask you this. Do you think having a portfolio is still a thing or is it, not, is it now more send me your Instagram feed. Well, that's interesting. I've heard some people, some, I've been talking to some friends and they've been talking about how they're going back to portfolios and having this like person to person thing. Much like before you press roll on it, we were talking about how much we both love this medium, right? Right. You know, the faster the sound clips are, the, the more the need and the yearn is for an actual discussion, right? Right, sure. And, you know, I have an e-reader, but I also have a bunch of books and I, you know, I only bring the e-reader when I have to go somewhere where I can't bring a bunch of stuff with me. Um, I'd rather pick up the book. And I feel like that connection between people, I mean, art directors don't have any time or photo directors don't have any time to sit down with you anymore. So they're, they'll know you because they're looking at your Instagram page and they're looking at your, probably less so now, your, your websites. But yeah, there was like a good six, seven years there where you would just... Like printing a portfolio was such a waste of money and such a waste of your time because you get all obsessive about your prints and it would, you know, it's a real process to go through yeah. putting together new portfolios. But now I hear people are like, that's what they're doing, which I think is super cool. Like, I, I love that. I love that whole sitting down with someone and talking to them because they might be looking like the whole, for me, most of the work that I would get, you sit down, you'd show people your book and they're looking through it. But and you know they're they're photo directors. They see thousands of images a day. They like they don't really they're blazing through your stuff. They're more interested about what are you working on now, and it was a ch- it's a chance to have that conversation. Where and if you don't have that personal project, like the whole reason I got into um, one of you know I showed a bunch of work to this um, Claire Vandermeer. She's like the you know kind of the the kingpin of photography in in Toronto, and she's just. You know, she's helped the careers of so many people, mine included. And when I first sat down with her, she just kind of breezed through my work and was like, what are you working on now? And I'm like, well, I'm working on this Mormon missionary project. She was like, I want to hear about that. 
like she like she's like you got great work just keep doing what you're doing but tell me about this mormon missionary stuff right and wow. it was that that's the conversation it's not necessarily it's just making that connection with people having projects that you're passionate about that you're working on at all times is like the key it doesn't matter what it is you might just want to go and take pictures of bmw emblems on a car hood if you want i mean i don't who knows what it is but you should be doing it right absolutely i mean that's i'm super fascinated by the fact that people are going back to print yeah. portfolios a bit like i do think that i mean we're just so inundated with digital images and when you're on the scroll like you can't take in an image properly really i mean there's something magic about a print in front of you right that is a different way of experiencing a photograph yeah this is actually this is one thing i wanted to talk about because I've never really done any printing because I've never had like a gallery show or anything like that. Cause it's not, I mean, I'm just not that, I just don't have that kind of work, I guess. But be, when this cookbook rolls out, we're doing a show in St. John's of kind of landscape work from the book. And so I've been, I've been going back and forth about printing it. So there's like 12, 12 large scale prints Wow. and I've never done it. So I'm like, Oh, it's like super worried about it. You know, technically like what are they going to look like? How are they going to stand up? So I'm actually getting, I should get the Monday, the test strips from the actual prints. Oh, that's exciting. And I'm super excited to see it. The gallery owner uh, who's putting this on is actually the mother-in-law of Jeremy. So it's like, <laughs> it's St. John's a small place. But she has an incredible, like she has like, there's kind of only one gallery in, in town, but she has some really great artists in there. And so her, her take on those pictures was really great. It was like the same... It's my first time ever working with a gallerist and she's like she thought you know these are really strong these should be the ones this is this is the approach and I was like great like thank you thank you I didn't have to like <laughs> it was a great approach but at the same time we're l still looking at the pictures on a screen in thumbnail format a little bit bigger than you would on Instagram and I think that that like what we all see on our screens and I scroll just as much as everybody else it's like what works in a small square or small rectangle like a three inch image you're looking at thumbnails right yeah. you know how the ability to click on it and it pop up in a bigger window like you would if you were working in yeah. on your big computer and it changes the dynamic of what is interesting to people so like photography in my in my mind has gotten a lot more graphic and a lot more composition heavy and a lot more light and shadow which is super super cool like yeah. there's beautiful work but made by those constraints of and it doesn't look good in a small format, right? Yeah, which is yeah. super interesting because one of my drawing teachers, he teaches an entertainment arts track at a art center, and he has his students just do tons of thumbnails to understand composition and making a strong graphic statement in right. a thumbnail with pencils or quick Photoshop painting. Yeah. So I, I have noticed that trend as well, that like the graphic statement of an image is much stronger than it was. Oh, yeah. And color color is so much more important now yeah. because your 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 canvas now is is everything that comes before and after too right oh yeah so like you know like the the sunset rose look of last year or whatever and then all the night shot stuff that's happening that's recycled this year you kind of go through it and you're like these are all the same like really really great tones like amazing tones but then if you're off that if you're not part of that game, it comes in through the scroll and you're like, what, what was that? What's that heinous stuff? I do get sick of seeing the same rose tinted stuff. And yeah. I do get sick of seeing the same fogged out nighttime shots. 
and I, I get, you know, we all get sick of it, but then that propels it. It's just the cycles are faster. It propels people to go and try different stuff. And it's like the last few years, like the work on Instagram is just other people post because it's not work on Instagram. They're going out and taking those pictures and maybe they're making prints. Maybe they're putting on their websites. I'm seeing it on Instagram and that visual literacy is just like oh, yeah. through the roof, it's through the roof. For yeah. Sure. Like fast, fast, fast. Yeah. Amazing. But, but what I, what I want to wrap that around back towards is the, um, as we were looking, I was looking at the pictures with, with Christina at the gallery, we're looking at the thumbnails. I'm like, but that, that shot's going to be, I think that shot's going to be nice, big, but I don't know because I've never printed anything large. And she's looking at, she's like, oh yeah, that's going to be, that'll be nice, big, because it has this totally skewed sense of, of human scale. And I'm just really excited to see some big pictures, you know, again. Yeah. It's really funny that it's been what, 20 plus years since you, since the days of the Kodak carousel looking at slides on your old apartment wall to a big print now. Yeah, I did. 1998. Crazy. How long was that? Is that 20 years? Yeah. Yeah. It's 21 years. Yeah. Yeah. That carousel, like I, I, I think about that all the time. That whole process, I've, I've gone and looked at, because he had a carousel. It actually wasn't a carousel. It was a straight line like a carousel. It's wow. like one of those ones. It was super nice. I've looked at them online on eBay. I wonder if I should get one of those. But I don't have any slides. I mean, <laughs> right. do I go and start shooting? Like, you know, they, they brought all those, some of those film stocks back. So um, I don't know. We'll see. Not sweet, sweet Kodachrome, though. No. No, that's not coming back. Just a few more things to yeah, sure. ask you. I mean, since you travel so much and I love travel. Do you have a, a kit now that's sort of your pared down travel photo kit? Not really. I mean, like, you know, you and I talk about gear a lot when we're, yes. when we're having our breakfast get, together. Get obsessive. Yeah, we get obsessive about it. I've always, I've always had a form of a, of a rangefinder, like a Leica with me since the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I shoot with it uh, a fair amount. There are some limitations to that style of a camera especially in the food world and, 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 and that, which I kind of push me towards other systems. But I, I, I usually like to have a, like a two camera system. Sometimes for a long time, it was like a couple of Canon bodies, just, just like everybody else. Yeah. 5Ds, Mark Threes, 1DSs, and a couple of lenses. I generally shoot without zooms because I don't, I've never have. I just, doesn't feel normal to me. I remember a guy back in the day when I was printing back in Vancouver saying like, you don't need a zoom, use your feet or something along those lines right. and always stuck. Um, but I do like to keep it light and small. It depends on what the job is, yeah. right? Like yeah, that's the problem. There's no kind of one camera solution. I think all photographers wish for something like that. Right. But I do like switching formats a bit. I've been using the new medium format uh, Fuji digital camera and I, Love the files from it. I shot most of the cookbook with that, and then and then the Leica as well. Yeah. So it depends on where I'm at and who I'm with, and should I be quiet or do I, do, can I afford some more noise and right. all those types of old school concerns. Yeah. You know, don't get in the way. Do you have any other outside of photo stuff, travel essentials or rituals? Yes, I've gotten a little bit more ritually. Um, I have, uh, you know, a toiletry bag that, you know, I just have to make sure that, you know, you've got your toothpaste and your floss and, uh, now I've started bringing like a, a, a bottle of soap now. It's just like, you need these like little, you know, I, I travel a lot and, and I'm, and I've traveled a lot for a long time. So it's, 
yeah, I'm starting to get at the point where it's like I, I'm starting to choose to stay home a little bit more, or right. I'm trying to at least. And sometimes you don't have a choice. The things that really keep me, the thing that keeps me together the most is, you know, music mm. and podcasts. I couldn't get through a flight without listening to music. Yeah. And just, just kind of going into my own like little Zen world. I, I also, I heard from a, a creative director at an agency once, maybe like five or six years ago, he said, oh, I never do work on planes. And at that time, I was like, I'm not that, that asshole who has, you know, his laptop out and, you know, on, a, on the single aisle planes and I'm in the aisle and then, and then somebody has to go to the bathroom and I'm like, oh, you know, interrupting my work. And, you know, right. like I stopped doing work on planes. I, I look at my flight now as, you know, it's me time. Yeah. And I think that that's a huge, huge thing. Because if you log a lot of hours on planes, it's like, just give it up. Watch the TV. Watch a stupid movie that you'll never remember. Yeah. Watch a great movie that's on a terrible screen. Like, that's always fun. Like, seeing, like, amazing. I remember watching, like, Interstellar, which is, like, you know, 65 mil, right? Wasn't it? Yeah, IMAX. Yeah, IMAX, right. Like, on the back seat of one of those <laughs> tiny little uh, things, like, regular economy class style, tiny screens with, like, no brightness and no crunch to it. And, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think. There are other rituals. I definitely, when I get somewhere, I, I walk my neighborhood like immediately just to see where everything is. And if I'm going to be there for a while, like, like when you're doing commercials, sometimes you'll land in a place and you're there for a month and you're based out of a hotel and being based in a hotel in a month is for, or like a couple of weeks, that is, that's tough. It's tough on the system because the hotel, hotels are made to look great for like a few days. And then if you stay a little bit longer, you see all the weirdness of how the hotel operates and then it just starts to... So I like, I kind of scope out a neighborhood and, and get to know where different places are. I like to go back to the same places a lot. So uh, like if I find like a little coffee shop, I don't, I'm like not particular about that stuff. The closest one will do. Yeah. But I'll go there like every morning and just kind of suss out the vibe. Yeah. If I'm there for a week, I'm there for a week. Get a routine. Yeah, kind of you try to get a routine, but yeah, the headphones are the are the key. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, what's next? I know you're you're sort of dabbling in television a bit. Yes, I've started to get involved in some documentary series, uh, pitching some documentary series, and uh, that's been the last kind of one particular one for the last like maybe eight months we've been working on, and at the end of the month we we go into our pitch cycle for it. So it's been a really interesting learning process for me. A series is a totally different beast. We've been able to partner up with production people who understand it. It's been great to to be a part of it and to kind of write and research it. And and again, it's like a, it was like a side project thing that's gathered its own steam. And I also could like, the problem is like, you can be like a photographer for a long time. And then you're like, what happens when I stop being a photographer? Like you don't really have an, an end game. And, and a lot of the stories that I'm interested in telling as always from the beginning have been a little bit more kind of complex than say a short doc, which is really all I've done on my own. And obviously commercials aren't telling too many stories or, or super deep stories. So this process has been really cool, very fascinating. And, and like you don't, you don't know if your ideas are gonna like stick or hold water, and and in this in some of these cases they're they're sticking and and they're and they're doing well. It just makes you want to do more. Yeah. You know, and like the like we've talked about 
tons of times of, you know, we both have too many ideas to ever execute for the rest of our lives. They just, they just don't stop coming. But if you could get in a situation where you can help other people do it for you or with you, the whole idea is to, to, to get these, you know, stories out in the world. And I'm really into history. I'm really into, you know, how does the world really work? Um, most of these shows are, are based around those, those parameters. And, you know, that to me is like a lifetime of excitement. Yeah. Just absolutely. coming up with them, not like even like having to direct everything. Cause that's where, that's where you start to log on the miles. Right. I mean, I know we can't really go into details because of the sensitive nature of sure. how the process goes at the moment, but, uh, I want to see those shows. <laughs> <laughs> so I hope they get, yeah. you know, to the next level and, and made. Well, we'll know, we'll know soon enough, but yeah, like I think when you're on the outside, because I mean, and I still am on the outside, but you look at this, you look at Los Angeles as a place where it's like, it feels like there's a lot of bodies buried. It's like there's this wasteland of like anybody who's ever like pushed themselves and tried really hard and had the greatest script and is the greatest writer and is the greatest photographer or is the best actress or actor. And they're just bodies on the way into LA that are just littering the side of the road and and I think that it's it's super daunting to to kind of, especially as a like you know uh, a Canadian to come in here and not really know what it's like to swim in a shark tank like this. But again, it was like the same thing with going to Toronto, where oh, it's big Toronto, and then you get there and everybody's super nice. And here, it's been exactly the same. Yeah, people don't care where you come from. If you've got an idea and it's a good idea, then like they're in. You know, it, I, we've been lucky. We've been lucky to be able to kind of fast track a little bit more than most, but it's also from, you know, uh, knowing how to pitch things, knowing how to write stuff up. We did a lot of work to put into start trying to get partners here, but yeah, that's really what it comes down to. And once you get in there and then you start talking with them and we're, you know, we're all people with ideas, like how do we develop it together? It feels very collaborative here, which I'm like super interested in. Like what we've talked about, oh God, how many things have we talked about right. just like kicking around ideas? It's, it's, you know, and it's not like we're worried where, you know, you're going to take an idea and like run with it like something you would in like a small market. It's just like make it happen. Yeah. Make it happen. And that's 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 why I'm here. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a fun puzzle to kind of figure out. It's like an arms race for content. You know what I mean? There's so many places. Mm -hmm. We're still in that sweet spot of technology where everybody's trying to do streaming. Everybody. There, there's so many different places where you can get your media from, where you can get your stories from. Right. And Obviously, that's going to consolidate, just like the new the, the magazines consolidated, and the the advertising agencies are consolidating at a, at an alarming rate. So it's all going to it's all going to kind of crush in on itself a bit. But right now is the time to, if you have an idea and you have a story and you know how to put it together. Like they're taking all comers. They they need it. They need it, and they need it, and they know they need it. Yeah. So it's a pretty good it's a pretty good time. Well, speaking of which, I know you have to get back to work on a pitch, and uh, I do as well, but I really thank you for sitting down with me, and I always enjoy our conversations. I, look, the pleasure is mine, man. Thank you for doing this. Uh, I think um, I love the stories that you're putting together of other people, and yeah. Yeah, it's been really fun. Cool. cool. The ramble is real. Indeed. All right. <laughs> Thanks, John.